As we continue in our time of worship, join me in reciting the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen, church. Before we continue, why don't you say hi to the person across from you or behind you. Good morning. How are you all doing? Nice. My name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Thank you all so much for joining us for worship this morning. I got a couple of things for you primarily. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Additionally, we're going to be uh, looking to and from on John 14 as well. So if you might want to have a kind of a a bookmark on John 14. We might be in other places, but John 16 and 14 are going to be our, our main go-tos this morning. A um, couple of things. Number one, if you are new, we'd love to hang out with you. We'd love to connect with you. So please uh, fill out one of the connect cards that are on the chairs before you. Drop it in the offering basket. Uh, and we'll get back with you within 24 hours. That's service, man. And then number two, if you don't have a Bible, uh, and if you're new, whether you don't have one because you don't own one, or maybe you forgot yours, we do have Bibles available for you. They are also in the chairs before you, and uh, that is our gift to you. Or if you know someone who would benefit from having a Bible, please take one with you. Um, I know it's a little warm in here this morning, uh, but you know, it's the valley. We just, we just run with it, right? And so, because uh, what else are you going to do? Um, <laughs> uh, what are we doing? What, so if, I keep on saying if you're new, but you know, if you're joining us, if you're just joining us, we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed for the past couple of weeks, uh, and I have found this to be a wonderful study. The Apostles' Creed is a wonderful summary of the Christian faith. Um, the Apostles' Creed in and of itself does not have uh, any kind of authority. It is not the same as Scripture, but what we love so much about the Apostles' Creed is that it points us back to the pages of Scripture. And so that's why for the summer, or over the course of this summer, we have been walking through the Apostles' Creed. And so I've really dug it. I've really appreciated the conversations I've had with many of you regarding the Apostles' Creed, whether it's the history uh, behind it or even some of the theology that we have been walking through. It has been a great study, and I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope you've been encouraged by the many conversations that you have had uh, on the Apostles' Creed. Here's where I want to start before I dive into the text. We believe in one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to be taking a 30,000-foot view. I'll explain why in a minute. We're taking a 30,000-foot view of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited. Man, this week's studying has been legit regarding the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I say that, for many of you, you're already nervous. Some of you are already nervous. Maybe you want to dig behind some of the pages of Scripture and, and perhaps even hide behind some of your theology and intellect. Some of you may be eager as I said that, and as a result, you might lose sight, and you might lose some grace, and you maybe even lose some patience when it comes to the anxiety of your brothers and sisters next to you. Even those of you who are nervous, you would lose sight and even grace and patience regarding those who are eager to hear about the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is God, and He is in perfect communion with the Father and Son, which means you are not the Holy Spirit. You are not the Holy Spirit. In my experience, while brief in the church, I have seen many Christians try to be the Holy Spirit, uh, back up the Holy Spirit apart from Scripture, and essentially try to take the place of the Holy Spirit for one reason or another. 
And while it is true that there have been many churches and, and ministries that have misunderstood, miscommunicated, and sadly abused the gift of the Holy Spirit, whether it was for their own personal or financial gain, or even the spiritual abuse within their congregations, that is, that is not who He is. And if that's your story, if you come from a background like that, before diving into the pages of Scripture, let me just say I'm so sorry. I'm sorry if you have experienced something like that. A misuse, a spiritual abuse, a miscommunication of the Holy Spirit. As a result of experiences like that, oftentimes, especially in the American church, many will adopt poor theology. Many will adopt poor theology regarding the Holy Spirit, and, and what tends to happen is that we may believe or we may lean toward believing that the Holy Spirit is optional in the Christian faith. That because of spiritual abuse, misunderstanding, miscommunication, a variety of things that have actually uh, abused or neglected the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we may adopt some poor theology and believe that the Holy Spirit is optional to the Christian life. And so what ends up happening is that as Christians, we try to live a supernatural life without supernatural power. And so this morning, I want to invite you into a couple of things. If you like taking notes, this is not the section for that. I want to invite you into a couple of things. First, I want to invite you or I want us to look at life apart from the Holy Spirit and how much it stinks. The second thing I want to invite you to is, is that I want us to see the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit as revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. And finally, I want us to see why that matters. So there might be three sections, but there's a lot of subpoints under those sections because that's how I roll. Part of the reason we're doing this like 30,000 foot view is because I get one Sunday to preach on the Holy Spirit. That's simply not enough. Like there are a lot of things I want to say that I want to dive into a little deeper. There are things that I'd love to expand and elaborate on, but for the sake of time, we don't have that. However, I thought I'd take this as an opportunity to kind of pause and let you know where we're headed for the fall because uh, uh, the person and work of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit applies to it. So in just a few short weeks, we're going to conclude our time in the Apostles' Creed. Again, it's been a wonderful study, though I kind of don't want it to end, but nevertheless, in a couple of weeks it will end. Shortly after that, we're going into the Song of Solomon. Oh yeah, cut. What are we calling it? Asking for a friend. All right? Really excited about the Song of Solomon. <laughs> All the single people are like, yes. After the Song of Songs, we're going to be diving into Jonah. And then we're going to conclude the year with a series specifically on the Holy Spirit. So I'm really excited about that. So you can see why today I'm looking at this 30,000 foot view. As we get closer to November, December, we'll dive into more specific areas regarding the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read John 16. This is going to be our main passage. As I said earlier, we might bounce to John 14. But if you have your Bibles, once again, we're going to be in John 16, beginning in verse 7. I'm going to go all the way through verse 15. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. God, as we come before you in this time of the preached word, Lord, I pray that you would set me aside. And Holy Spirit, I pray that it would be you at work through me. I pray that you would be at work and present among us. I pray that you would do what you do. That is that you would counsel us. That is that you would guide us. That is that you would convict us and challenge us. Holy Spirit, as we dive into this study of you and your ministry, may it illuminate our understanding of Jesus. May it encourage our understanding of you and your work. All to the glory of the Father. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with life without the Holy Spirit. Earlier I told you I want to invite you into three things. This is one of them. I want to invite you into why life stinks, and I'd like to use another word, but why life stinks apart from the Holy Spirit, right? Same thing. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you not to in this section. I'd encourage you just to kind of soak it in. Some of these notes are online. Uh, I think they're on our app. So if you want to revisit them then, you can, or you could just re-listen to the sermon. Here we go. Okay? I want to invite you into why life without the Holy Spirit stinks. And as we walk into that, we must come to one understanding. This fundamental understanding regarding the Holy Spirit is going to bleed into the rest of our time this morning. And that is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit exists to glorify Jesus. You need to know that. The ministry of the Holy Spirit exists to glorify Jesus. Therefore, we cannot say or believe that he is optional. That's number one. Well, actually, that's not number one. He is not optional. And so I want to walk through very briefly four things as to why life stinks apart from the Holy Spirit. Number one, we have no power. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we have no power, okay? We have no power to combat sin. When it comes to the truth of the gospel and the person and work of Jesus, yes, we are forgiven of our sin through his finished work on the cross, and then he imparts to us the Holy Spirit so that we would have the power to say no to sin. But apart from the Holy Spirit, you have no power to combat sin. Additionally, you have no power to understand the word of God because it is the spirit who illuminates our understanding to the pages of scripture. I remember working for the city and a friend of mine was with me and he had just become a Christian and I wasn't. And I forgot what we were talking about. And I remember he shared Ephesians 6 with me. And I remember reading, to this day, I can remember reading Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And I remember as I read it, I tried to rationalize and intellectualize what I was reading so that I can try to prove to him that it was foolish, whatever it was that he was sharing with me in the moment. And the truth was that I couldn't. Like I had nothing for him. Fast forward, Jesus saves me and, 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 and changes my heart. And one of the first verses that I was given to memorize was Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And the amount of information and illumination that came from that was like, oh my gosh, I could see not only the spirit at work here, but I can see how this is pointing me to Jesus, to stand firm in my faith. See, apart from the Holy Spirit, we have no power to combat sin. We have no power to understand the word of God. And we have no power to exercise our gifting for the glory of Christ. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But here's what I'll say. And it's kind of a summary of one of the points later on. 
That when it comes to your gifting, however you want to word it, your spiritual gifting, the gifting that the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon you, whatever it is that you want to word it, the idea behind it is that those gifts would glorify God and do some other things. I just don't want to give the rest of the sermon away. But that they would glorify Jesus. It's not to say that you don't have gifts or talents apart from the Holy Spirit. You just can't glorify God with them. So that's number one. We have no power apart from the Holy Spirit. Number two, we have no comfort apart from the Holy Spirit. See, the gospel is certainly a message that is to be proclaimed externally. Your role and my role is to preach and herald the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God entered into human history as the man Jesus and died for sinners by substituting himself on the cross on our behalf. That is a message that is heralded. That is a message that is proclaimed. That is a message that we need to shout and share all of the time. And... The gospel is also an internal reminder and proclamation of comfort. When we walked through 1 Peter, we spent about a month and a half, if not just a little bit shorter, we spent about a month in the first chapter because Peter goes into great detail of the work of God in Christ for us. That before we got to the, hey, this is what you need to do, and this is why you need to proclaim, you need to first know what God has done for you in Christ. This is for you. This is a reminder. Elsewhere, it's Galatians 2.20, I think. This is where Paul, it's one of the identity verses, right? Where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. There's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He concludes that, that verse by saying, I now live my life in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loves me. Paul isn't just giving them a really good example of what it's like to preach to yourself. Paul is preaching to himself. Paul is saying, this is what God has done for me in Christ. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can have no comfort. Apart from the Holy Spirit, this might bleed into that second one or overlap. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we lack conviction. We lack conviction. We may express and even experience guilt. Man, those who do not know Jesus, when they do something wrong, they feel bad about it. I'm knocking that. I'm not saying like, oh, it's only Christians, right? But there's a difference between guilt and grief. There is a difference between behavior change and heart change. Heart change comes as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. Grief is a result of conviction because we have first sinned against the Holy God. Yes, we need to be accountable to our sin. Yes, we need to confess our sin to one another. We need to pray for one another. Yes, but Psalm 51, 4 says, against you and you alone have I sinned. David puts the ownership on, man, I have first sinned against the Lord. That's grief. That's not guilt. So we lack conviction. And finally, apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't have the capacity for joy. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we do not have the capacity for joy. You see, joy is one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian faith. There is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is usually a result of your circumstance, right? You got a new job. Uh, you got a promotion at your job. Uh, you got hired at a new job. You moved somewhere. Uh, you just had kids, whatever. It's something really good, and it's a result of that circumstance, Happiness does not mean joy. Joy is a disposition. It is something that we stand on regardless of our circumstance. That we could praise God in the midst of affliction. That's different because that's not just circumstantial. That's a lifestyle now. So apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't have the capacity for joy. And if you're a Christian... If you belong to Jesus, you are not intended to live a life apart from the Holy Spirit. I'll say it one more time. If you're a Christian, you are not intended 
to live a life apart from the Holy Spirit. So let's look at John 16. <clears throat> I'm going to pull some things out from John 16 so we can see uh, you know, uh, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier, we're also going to look at John 14. <clears throat> Before I do that, I want to give us a little bit of context to what's going on here in John 16 after I get some water. <laughs> it's warm. Here we go. The context for John 16 is that Jesus is reminding the disciples of his departure. Earlier in the Apostles' Creed, we walked through um, the doctrine of substitution. That is, that Jesus' mission, was primary mission, was to reconcile man to God through the crucifixion. All right, that was, that was what we talked about. And so here in John 16, it's an ongoing conversation and a reminder of what started in John 14. In John 14, Jesus begins to tell the disciples that he needs to go. In other words, he needs to fulfill the mission that he was sent to do. And, apart, and, and on top of his ascension, him going back to the Father, he is sending the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, he is telling them, hey, this is important and this is why. John 16 is an ongoing conversation from that. He's telling them again, I got to go. I got to fulfill my mission. I have to go, and I have to go not just because my mission is fulfilled, but because the helper, the other one, the helper, the Holy Spirit, needs to come. And throughout John 14, uh, really through John 17, it's this real dense conversation regarding the Holy Spirit where Jesus is not only encouraging the disciples on the work of the Holy Spirit, but he's also reminding them, I'm leaving. Right? Like stuff is about to go down, that's the plan, and he's coming. Nevertheless, he is reminding him here in John 16. He is encouraging them, yes, and he is also reminding them that I must go, and the Holy Spirit will not come until I go. And so they're kind of going back and forth, like in John 14 and even in here, they're kind of like, yeah, that sounds cool, but why do you got to go? Right? There's even some discouragement. Like, why are you going to leave us, right? And he's like trying to preach to them. Like, uh, one of the things he says in John 14, he, he goes on to tell them like, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to do greater work than I did. That's another sermon, right? So that's the context. It's an ongoing conversation. And that's oversimplified, but nevertheless, right? Here's what he says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that you go away, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Right? So again, that's the ongoing conversation slash reminder. After this, here's what I want to do. I want to look at seven things. I want to walk through seven things regarding the person and work of the Holy Spirit that we see here in John 16, some from John 14, and some from other pieces of Scripture. Now again, this is a 30,000 foot view, so you're like, man, you should have gone more in depth probably don't have the time. My bad, right? Number one. Number one. This is regarding the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, okay? The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. I don't have the verse numbers on my notes, but this is where Jesus says, I think this is towards verse 13 and 14. Well, actually, I think it's 14. He goes on to say, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, exists to glorify Jesus. It exists, or he exists to point us to Jesus, and he exists to connect us to Jesus. That is number one. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Wherever you hear noise regarding the Holy Spirit, there better be a testimony of the person and work of Jesus. That's what his job is. It is to glorify Jesus. Number two, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak or work apart from Scripture. Go back up to verse 13. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then he goes on to say that he is going to glorify him. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak or work apart from Scripture. Here's what is so, oh, I don't know, comforting about this. What is comforting is that the Holy Spirit isn't random. He is biblical. The Holy Spirit isn't random. He is biblical. God is not a God of chaos. So we can always go back to the pages of Scripture. Now, that also tells us a couple of things, especially if we have misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit, because oftentimes... He is communicated, preached, and even taught like he's random. There's nothing random about him. The Holy Spirit is biblical. Number three. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Jesus goes on to say, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. It's twofold here, or at least what I'd like to say is twofold. The Bible teaches that we are physically alive, or born physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. That our hearts are dead. That's Ephesians 2.1. All right? The Holy Spirit, part of his ministry is that he makes sinners or brings sinners to life spiritually. That he brings to life dead hearts. It's part of his job. That if you do not know Jesus, you can come to know Jesus. And the role of the Holy Spirit in that belief is that he brings to life your dead heart. Additionally, those of you who do know Jesus, maybe you have been a Christian for a number of years, know and can look back that sometimes you walk into seasons or you find yourself in seasons, maybe you're in one of those right now where your heart is hardened, maybe even stubborn, and the Holy Spirit still softens and works within that. Now, here's how he does it. Whether it's the dead heart or the hardened one, right? Because you know better, right? Whether it's those two, this is how he does it. He confronts us with our sin. Now that's hard, man. And that's kind of a, a tough word, right? He confronts us with sin. Now all of this is going to equate to something. But the first thing he does is, according to John 16, is that he confronts us with our sin. Man, you can say all you want about how you need accountability and you need people to call you out. Ain't nobody in this room who loves being called out. There's nobody here who loves being confronted with their sin. Doesn't mean it's not necessary. Doesn't mean it's not a good conversation. Doesn't mean repentance and all that doesn't take place. But don't act. Not the agas, right? Like, don't act. Don't act like, oh, I just need it. You probably do. And it's not pretty. The Holy Spirit confronts us with our sin by putting it on the table. But he also confronts us with our sin by confronting us with the righteousness of Christ. That's what breaks it. Because now you're faced to look at the righteousness of Christ and realize you ain't got none. Apart from him, you ain't got none. The Holy Spirit confronts us with our sin. He confronts us with the righteousness of Christ. He confronts us with judgment. And man, apart from, apart from me, you will not know Jesus. You will not have a relationship with him. You will be eternally separated. And all of those might be harsh words. All of those may be those hard conversations that we talk about, right? What, what is it said in, in, in Christian churches or church circles, right? Uh, have, have a come to Jesus conversation, right? Whatever that means. And so, so when, it, when it comes to that, the Holy Spirit puts that all on the table. And his, his goal, his aim is to comfort you with the gospel. It may be hard, may not be the prettiest. It may be a hard realization, but his aim is to comfort you with the gospel. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. That's a good thing. When you're convicted, the Holy Spirit's doing his job. Don't ask like, why is this happening? The Holy Spirit's doing his job, okay? 
Number four, the Holy Spirit reminds us that Satan will have his day. Toward the end of of that statement, it's not verse 14, but the end of the statement, he says, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Elsewhere in John 14, Jesus is comforting the disciples. Remember, he's reminding them, hey, I gotta go. Holy Spirit's gonna come. And he catches wind that they're kind of discouraged. They're kind of sad. And essentially, he's telling them, I don't know why you're tripping. Because the ruler of this world, he's referring to Satan. He's got nothing on me. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to raise me from the dead. I will have conquered sin, Satan, demons, and hell. He's got nothing on me. And that's this, this John 16 part, it's a reminder of that. It's a reminder of what he first come, came out with in John 14. It's like, he's got nothing on me. I'm not, he probably didn't say it that way, but you know, you know what I mean. Number five, the Holy Spirit assures us of the promises of God. In John 14 and in John 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit teaches us, he reminds us, and in John 16, he says that he guides us. Elsewhere, we see that the Holy Spirit counsels us. Now, this is a great assurance. This is a great reminder. because The Holy Spirit assures us of the promises of God. What are some of those promises? How about you're forgiven? That your sins have been forgiven as a result of Jesus' substitution on your behalf. That God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ, lived the life that you and I cannot live, died the death that you and I deserve to die. And graciously forgives us of our sin. He pays the penalty that you and I deserve. In addition to that, the Holy Spirit reminds us of redemption. We've spent a lot of time talking about redemption. You guys remember some of the, 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 the work that we've done on redemption? When it comes to redemption, redemption means to be bought out of slavery. And in the context of what we see in Scripture, we see that Jesus, through his blood, that's the currency, that's what he uses to pay, he buys us out of slavery to our sin to never return back to it. The Holy Spirit assures us of our redemption. The Holy Spirit assures us that we are sealed. Ephesians 1 says that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, when it comes to that, here's what I would say. That ought to be the motivation for repentance. The word sealed from Ephesians 1 refers to a certificate of authenticity that we are completely and authentically God's kids. And we are sealed. We have his seal. Who's the seal? The Holy Spirit. That's our motivation for repentance. It is because we belong to him that we repent. It is because he loves us that we obey, not we obey so that he will love us. It is as what Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. We're getting like a raven here. <laughs> As obedient children, do not be conformed to your former ways. Forgot my glow sticks. Right? Nevertheless, he assures us of our forgiveness. He assures us of our redemption. And he assures us that we are sealed. That certificate of authenticity Number six, the Holy Spirit imparts gift onto the church. Some of you like scoot up. Talk more about that. We're not going to dive into that today. But here's what I would say about the gifts. So the Holy Spirit imparts gifts onto the church. That is the church body. What's the purpose of the gifts? That's what I want to walk through. Number one, the purpose of our spiritual gifts are to glorify Jesus. You can visit 1 Corinthians 12. It is to glorify Jesus, not yourself, not to bring attention on yourself, not to make much of yourself, not to show how cool you think you are, but to glorify Jesus. Apart from that, repent of your pride and self-righteousness. Number two, the gifts are aimed at building up the church. 
Same thing. The attention still isn't on you. And it should never be on you. It should be to glorify Jesus. And it should be to build up the church. You can walk through an array of the gifts. And the idea of the gifts is to build up the church. don't know how to transition into this. When it comes to this, this is probably the part where I see Christians rip each other up. Rather than sharpening their sword or your sword so that we can stand firm in our faith as Ephesians 6 says, and when it gets tough, stand even harder in that ground, what I see are Christians sharpening the sword so that they can stab one another with. And it's not that we or you are unaware of your gifting. You're just making it about yourself. Not the agas, like you know what your gift is. And oftentimes what happens when it comes to encouraging the church, when it comes to building up the church, I see people, I see Christians not want to exercise these gifts because they rather rely on something like, that's just not my talent, that's just not my gift, this is really how I am. What that tells me is that there is no transformation. What that tells me is that you don't understand the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What that tells me is that you don't understand why we are here. We are here to glorify Jesus through our gifts, to build up the church through our gifts, and to direct others to know Jesus. The gifts are just that. They're gifts. They're gifts. They're tools to be used to glorify Jesus, build up the church, and point others to Jesus. Not point them to yourself. Not place the attention on you but so that the glory and attention and wonderful work of Christ would be made known and that more people would come to know Jesus. Number seven, the Holy Spirit empowers us. Same thing, kind of overlaps with the gift part. Here's what I mean. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Maybe it's because sometimes we think that the Holy Spirit is optional. We tend to only preach or remind ourselves of half of the gospel. Half of the gospel is that we have been forgiven of our sin. And many of you or many Christians would say, yes, man, we're happy that Jesus forgave us. The problem with only preaching half of the gospel to yourself, the problem with that is that there's no change. The other half of the gospel is that Jesus died on a cross, substituting himself, dying on a cross for our sins. He died, was buried, and on the third day, the Holy Spirit brought him back, conquering sin, Satan, hell, and demons. There's another part to the gospel. It's called new life. And then what? He ascends into heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell and abide in the life of believers so that there would be transformation, so that we would, as Romans 8 says, be conformed to the image of Jesus. Oftentimes, we're just preaching half the gospel. Yes, Jesus forgave me of my sin. What about the transformation? This is also the part where Christians stand stubbornly and say, well, this is just who I am. This is just how God made me. The person and work of the Holy Spirit, his job is to transform us, to change our hearts, and to sustain us in the midst of that change. You can't tell me that, man, Jesus forgave my sin, that's awesome, and be the same You cannot have an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and say, I'm cool. That was a really good experience and not be changed. There are two parts to the gospel. Forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ and empowering grace. 
that the Holy Spirit abides and dwells in the believer. And what happens when he does? Transformation. What does transformation look like? That means that you're growing in godliness. That means you're growing in Christian virtues like joy and love and patience. That means that you are growing in your maturity. That means that you hunger for the things of God. Because the Holy Spirit is in the background doing a work in you. Don't forget that. Stop, stop standing, and I don't know, perhaps this is the Holy Spirit, but stop standing, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, on stubborn position. This is just who I am. This is just who I am, and, and this is just how God made me, and I don't really have to do anything else, and Yes, you may be wired a certain way to process and you may be wired a certain way to do certain things. That does not mean there shouldn't or will never be transformation. There ought to be transformation. We should not, like if you, like if you were a Christian for 10 years, you should not be in the same place today as you were 10 years ago. There ought to be transformation. And if you're struggling in that, then confess it. Confess it to one another. There's comfort. The Holy Spirit comforts you. Why grieve him and reject him? His job is to comfort you, not just to convict, but to comfort you. And apart from comfort, he brings counsel. He guides. He teaches. He reminds you of the message of the gospel and what God has done for you in Christ. Please stop making excuses. Stop standing in a place of pride and stubborn hearts and hardened hearts. Stop trying to be the Holy Spirit. You're not. There's one God, and He exists as three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Coincidentally, that doesn't include you. The Holy Spirit empowers us. So as we close, why does this matter? It's the last thing that we're looking at. Why does this matter? I'll give you three things. It matters because you cannot know Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. You can have knowledge about Jesus. Not knocking that. You could open the pages of Scripture and it is clear enough for you to have a, a, a basic understanding. Yeah, but that's not what I'm using. That's not the, the word that I mean. When it comes to knowing Jesus, there is relationship, there is intimacy there, there is communion, there is unity with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Here's the comfort. If you want to know Jesus, you must be born again. If you want to know Jesus, you must be born again. Ezekiel, what is it, 36? God says that he will take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and he will breathe his spirit in us. If you want to know Jesus, you can believe that truth. You believe that truth and the Holy Spirit brings to life your dead heart. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. The Holy Spirit makes much of Jesus and you repent of your sin. Further, if, if you do know Jesus, if you do know Jesus, I mean, don't grieve the Spirit. In fact, have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. See, I mean, you grieve the Holy Spirit, you, you affect your communion. You affect that unity. And here's what I would say, like, if you're in a place where, man, you're thinking theologically and intellectually, stop. Stop. For those of you that don't know Jesus, you can come to know him, and you must be born again through faith in Christ alone. For those of you that do know him, just know that your communion's affected. So repent. Number two, you cannot worship Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. Kind of overlaps with the first one. You cannot worship Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. Worship inclines transformation. Kind of like what we talked about a while ago. Worship inclines transformation. That if we are 
filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about that in just a minute. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then our hearts are changed, our hearts are renewed. Therefore, our worship of Jesus is in utter vulnerability. It's in a position of humility. It's in a position where we realize that he is God and we are not. So worship inclines transformation. My encouragement would be to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Right? I think sometimes we, like, it's thrown around. Maybe this isn't the greatest analogy, but this is all I could think about. So you'll have to forgive me after I drink water. <laughs> when an individual uh, drinks alcohol, they would say, that person is under the influence. Right? Like, what does that mean? Like, if a police officer says, so-and-so was under the influence, right? That means that the alcohol was doing its thing. Maybe they impaired their judgment, uh, their behavior, their decision-making, so on and so forth, right? They were under the influence. That means that they were being guided by the alcohol in their system, right? And it does something, right? Physiologically, it does something. I'll get into that later. When you hear the phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit, I think oftentimes we think about, yeah, fill a cup, and uh, it's kind of it. Very stale. Doesn't do anything. The phrase, and even when we see it in Scripture, being filled with the Holy Spirit, its translation can mean something similar to be under the influence. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What happens? That means you are being guided by the Holy Spirit. That means he's obviously at work in you, and not just anatomically, but physiologically and spiritually, you've been affected by the Holy Spirit. Get the analogy? Might be a terrible one. That's all I can think of, right? The idea of being filled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit is that you are in constant submission to the Holy Spirit. Think about it. When someone's under the influence, they are in submission to whatever is influencing them. Now, apply that to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. If you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, that means we are in constant submission to the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, and I get this a lot, oftentimes I think we want to be too practical and too pragmatic. What's the next book I should read? What's the next Bible study I should read? Have you read this dead guy? What about this dead guy? Is this dead guy going to show me this? Is this book going to show me that? Blah, 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 blah. Here's what I would say. How much of you do you depend on practical and pragmatic efforts and how much of you actually yields to the Holy Spirit? Super quiet. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. I'll just keep looking down on this part. <sighs> How many of you want to be more practical rather than actually submitting to the Holy Spirit? Well, what do I got to do to submit? Crack open that Bible, yo. Do a study on John 14 and John 17 on the work of the Holy Spirit. You're hearing it from Jesus himself. You cannot worship Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to meet us in the pages of Scripture. The next time you crack open your Bible, beg the Holy Spirit to meet you there. Not just so that he would illuminate and counsel you, but so that you would have communion with him. I'm not saying Bible studies and books are bad. I just think sometimes we depend way too much on them instead of actually just having and asking and begging the Holy Spirit to meet us in the pages of Scripture. In fact, that would be my challenge to you this week. When you crack open your, 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 your Bible for coffee and Colossians, right? When you do that, man, beg the Holy Spirit to be there. Number three, you cannot have joy in Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot have joy in Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit. Remember, and I'll be short on this because I talked about it earlier, joy is a Christian virtue. It is one that we grow and mature in as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Galatians 5, 22 to 23, y'all got that memorized, right? 
the fruit of the Spirit. Paul goes on to list several virtues. And what's beautiful about Galatians 5 is the opening, the opening words. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that he does not say, these are the fruits. He counts all of those virtues as one. You cannot grow in maturity, in godliness, in virtue of what Paul is saying apart from the Holy Spirit. You can have a bad day and still give God glory in the midst of your affliction. You can have a really good day and praise God all the day long for his blessing and favor. You cannot have joy in Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. Here's what I close with. The ministry of the Holy Spirit exists to glorify Jesus by abiding in us, restoring hope, and securing us to the foundation of our faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity where, man, we get to meet you in your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that, man, that you'd, you, you would be glorified. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use this time to, 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 to be at work in us, to convict us of sin, to comfort us with the message of the gospel, and to point, to, uh, point us to the person and work of Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are, you are a beautiful gift. And your aim is to make us more and more like Jesus. So God, as we walk out of here in just a few moments, may we walk out of here yearning and hungering and desiring to know you better. And may that, may that hunger, may that desire, may that yearning begin with a challenge or a conviction in our hearts. And may the next step be begging you to meet us in the pages of Scripture so that you can do a work in us for the glory of Christ. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Right, offering. I'll, I'll jump in. Sorry, guys. I'll jump into offering real quick. So uh, the, the offering team is going to come down. They're going to pass the bowl. Let me pray very, very briefly for that. Um, God, as we walk into this uh, transition of offering, Lord, this is where we give you our stuff. Holy Spirit, this is, this is a place uh, where we're, you have been at work in our hearts through song. You have been at work in our hearts through the, the, the preached word. Now be in our hearts when it comes to the things that we just want to hold tightly to. Would you convict us and remind us of the comfort of the gospel so that we would be stewards, not owners, so that we would give generously, so that we would give faithfully, and so that we would give uh, cheerfully to the glory of your name. Amen.